Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And as always, Michael, you can call us the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with as the countdown for the remaining episodes of the final mm. season of Bojack Horseman and indeed Podcast Horseman continues if you like this podcast you can follow it on twitter or instagram at podcast horseman you can also follow either of your hosts catch them while you can you can get me on twitter or instagram at it's adam nicholas or you can follow michael hamflet at michael hamflet you can get this podcast at this point pretty much anywhere where you can get podcasts if you like apple go through apple podcast app to follow and subscribe on spotify where you can follow on overcast where you can subscribe on amazon music where you can Pay a premium for a quicker delivery service, but at least Prime Video's got Madman on it, I suppose. Pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts, you can get Podcast Horseman, including on Acast, where every Friday the uh, the link to stream or subscribe will go out throughout our Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. That'll be there every single week for you. And on any of those apps, on any of those vehicles, devices, whatever, if you're able to leave us a five-star review, we would love it if you did. You can say something nasty, you can say something nice, but it fools the algorithm into thinking everybody in the world wants to talk themselves horse about a talking horse, and what's so bad about that? Leave us a, leave us a review, you have a chance to get it read out on this podcast, as Nicholas says, before the series comes to a crushing end very, very soon. Get those reviews in now, and another one will be coming at the end of this episode as we induct somebody else into our Hollywood Talk of Fame. Yes, indeed it will. And at the end of this episode, stay tuned because we do have some information regarding the rest of this season and Mm. the remaining way that they're going to break this series of television up, not just by us, but of course by Bojack Horseman and indeed by Netflix. But let's stay with Netflix, shall we, and get the synopsis for this week's episode of Podcast Horseman and Bojack Horseman. Season six, episode six, the kidney stays in the picture. The assistants of Hollywood go on strike. Bojack tries to help Dr. Champ. When Todd learns that his mother needs a kidney, Diane comes up with a plan. The gang are at it again, Monsoir Hamflit. And there is breaking news to begin with that relates technically, I suppose, to none of them. It's Tom Grunkle Jumbo to confirm what we heard about last week, where the assistance uni- uh, union are meeting today 
with studio execs to hopefully avoid strikes and negotiate new terms. If you remember in last week's episode, they all walked out inadvertently as a result of Bojack Horseman uh, speaking to Casey, one of the assistants. She has kind of become uh, a strike captain. She's found herself at the front of the charge. Um, she's uh, speaking to the, the press uh, and leading a meeting with Lenny Turtletop, who is abusive to them the second he sits down at the table. And that leads quite nicely into what they want. They have just one request. They do not want to be treated like garbage. Lenny immediately responds with, quote, it appears we are at an impasse. That was all <laughs> they required and they couldn't get it. Um, we then get a graphic that says the strike day one and it reveals Hollywood in complete disarray, total chaos at a standstill as all the babied executives have no idea how to do absolutely anything and we mean anything. Cars are on fire, execs are in tears, and the assistants are nowhere to be found as the credits roll. But we will cover more of that later, as of course that did not feature Bojack Horseman, which is where the, which is where the episode proper begins. Um, back at Pastiches, and uh, Dr. Champ wakes up rough in Bojack's bedroom, of course, mortified, having accidentally fallen off the wagon yet again. Bojack agrees to keep it a secret. Only thing is, how does he get out of the room? Um, even Bojack <laughs> is tired of this great meta gag at this point of this runner that has followed him through the season of him teaching people how to escape buildings by tying all the sheets together and falling on the floor. They brilliantly run this gag into the ground as he's not remotely conspicuous in trying to escape Dr. Champ. He's kind of swinging from the sheets. He falls loudly and violently onto Bojack's back. But he does at least land safely for himself and speeds off in a car uh, which is a van labelled on the wagon and says on the side, quote, sober and loving it. Um, we'll carry on a little bit here because that's just obviously the basic premise of, of Bojack's episode that it's going to feature um, Dr. Champ. Uh, and we're back to Bojack doing his sort of dorm room leaving college goodbye. We saw this a couple of times last week. There's no sobby Bobby anymore, but there is this stinky Susan. Uh, he gets in a cab outside pastiches and nervously asks to go home. En route, he stops the cab at Bellican's, but not for the reasons you might think, but because he sees Dr. Champ's van outside. Uh, Dr. Champ is hammered when he goes inside to see him, uh, laughing at the very notion that going cold turkey would have ever worked. Um, but Bojack rather angrily questions this, of course, questioning the value of all his expensive treatments, um, if indeed cold turkey is so funny. Dr. Champ pies the whole thing off with more margaritas. This feels like a time to stop and take a breather and maybe in Dr. Champ's place, maybe get a water in between all those cocktails. Uh, pretty much picking up where we left off last week, uh, Bojack has inadvertently led Dr. Champ on a path of destruction. Um, <laughs> and though this is more the, how would you put this, the lighter side of alcohol addiction, we are clearly seeing a man once again trapped in that battle. This is not just somebody that's enjoying a day out on the piss um, because hypothetically he's been locked down for 18 months. This is very much somebody that shouldn't been, somebody that shouldn't have been reintroduced to the demon booze. Someone who's clearly taken a lot of, a lot of steps to try not to be that person mm. and has been corrupted by Bojack Horseman. Of course <laughs> he has. Who wouldn't be corrupted by Bojack Horseman? Even though, in his defence, when he's not trying to be a corrupted influence, but hey, that's the way the show goes. You've been here long enough. You know how it works. Um, fascinating as well, just to quickly touch on the assistance as well from the mm. beginning, because literally <laughs> the first <laughs> moment of negotiation, brilliant, brilliant bit of um, bit of direction from 
the gang here because like Raphael Bob Waxberg, knowing me thinking, how do we make it clear that these are the worst people on planet Earth? <laughs> All the assistance we want is to not be treated like garbage. And it is no that I mean that is unacceptable in this negotiation. <laughs> and we are about to get a long old withdrawn uh, a long old drawn out process. I mean it it's just it's awful. The men of Hollywood, just the system of Hollywood is yeah. disastrous. And we are seeing it in all its flaws, much like Dr. Champ, unfortunately, who just can't seem, he can't seem to get his shit together, Michael. He needs a Princess Carolyn pep talk or something, because that man, he, he ain't no good on the sauce. He, he should have been in the uh, the B or indeed the PC plot rather than the A plot, because he is in bother, as you say. We find ourselves back in Bellicans later in the day. Dr. Champ is still drinking, still hammered, <laughs> and calling Bojack a court. Before we go any further, I'm gonna I'm gonna regret it if I don't say that he should be in the AA plot is where he should oh, be. Oh, very good. Come very on, good. it was right there for everybody to get. Because of that reference, I'm gonna give you Dr. Champ's heckle of nerd, which is what he screamed <laughs> at Bojack as he ordered a club soda. Uh, he says that Bojack can just take him back to pastiches to keep him out of trouble after he's quote drank enough to be steady. Um, Bojack, of course, doesn't want him to go back there drunk and potentially wreck his career. Um, but Dr. Champ still thinks that this isn't about him at all. It's about Bojack avoiding dealing with his own crisis, which is, of course, today going home. Um, Champ accuses Bojack of rejecting all of his methods in therapy because he's also a horse. This is not something that we've explored before, which is perhaps the reason why Bojack has been so resentful of uh, Champ's attempts. Uh, quote, I remind you of your father, so you simultaneously resent me and crave my approval. He then follows that up with, quote, you're stunted from having healthy relationships with horses, idiot. Bojack fires back, noting that that can't possibly be the case, and he tries to use his relationship with Hollyhock as the reason that, that might be, and says, quote, if your theory were true, wouldn't I keep her at arm's length, desperate for her to love me, but unwilling to be vulnerable enough to allow her to hurt me? And then carries on with, quote, okay, you got me. My parents gave me an internalised hatred of horses, so my horse body is a prison that I can never escape. This manifests in rotten behaviour because I subconsciously believe I deserve to be punished, but being famous, I'm never punished, so I act out more. And since this pattern is so woven into my identity, it is unfathomable to me that it can ever be curbed. So instead, I drink. So the only way I can progress is to return to my life as a sober man and finally hold myself accountable for all my actions, past and present. Oh my God, is that what therapy is? He gets this amazing breakthrough with his therapist for the first time. Dr. Champ responds by passing out with a table face because he's absolutely hammered. Um, we need to stop and take a pause for the course here. We do. This is quite an incredible moment of realisation for Bojack. Again, typical Bojack Horseman, things happen at the worst possible time. It's in a manner that uh, Dr. Champ can't fire back with anything that might continue to help him with this breakthrough. It's in literally the worst possible place in the form of Bellican's bar, surrounded by booze. And of all the episodes, this is just quite neat, of all the episodes for Bojack to realise how helpful his fame has made this cycle easy for him, it's in one where, of course, in the assistance plot, we're dealing with the realities of the people that have propped up Bojack's dreadful cycle. And essentially stopped him from ever probably being able to see this, of course, <laughs> which along with the booze, of course, which has not helped. I just think there's something really madly poetic here about this is, I mean, this is huge. This is mm. massive. We've been watching this show now for six seasons and all those times we've sat there and said, oh, come on, but what if, what if he just gets, gets it right? What if he pulls it back? Like, maybe, maybe he's not that bad. Maybe he is just misunderstood. And he always brings us back 
uh, back to the brink because we feel like maybe he can learn. And we get this. We get this. Mm. The only problem is, Michael, we get this, as you correctly pointed out, inside of a bar <laughs> from his uh, horse therapist who, unfortunately, is absolutely mortal drunk because of, <laughs> because of Bojack, which has led him to end up having this almost, not diagnose himself, but he's dug deep inside and he's mm. pulled it out himself. All this time he knew it and he's finally verbalised it. And you get this amazing moment where he feels the positive impact of, of therapy. <laughs> Only was sat in the middle of Bellican's bar. But of course, that's how the bit the breakthrough had to happen. That's exactly how Bojack Horseman breakthrough should happen. Because it's Bojack Horseman. Of course it would. There is something to be said, I suppose, about Bellican's effectively being a literal comfort zone for Bojack without him, mm. like subconsciously, without him even realising. Um, if only Bojack had had therapy before instead of just paying a friend to talk to once a week in one of the earlier seasons. Imagine might that. Have, <laughs> might have cracked this a long time ago. Um, Dr. Champ wakes up later in the episode. We go back to Dr. Champ and it's that familiar scene now of him waking up in bed where his vision is frosty, but in the foreground of the shot, we see a, a hangover cure in place ready for him. We assume it's at pastiches, but we assume incorrectly. He's very badly hungover and Bojack explains to him that he's at Partridge's which is a rehab clinic owned by Danny Bonaducci. I feel like we might hear a little bit more about that in your section of the podcast. Um, Bojack has informed pastiches that he was checking Dr. Champ in for the good of his health and that he wouldn't be returned to work. And he frames this in a way where, as you would imagine, I guess this is nothing for Dr. Champ to worry about. His work has been informed, so he can just dry out as best as he can in partridges. But Dr. Champ is livid. He wanted to remain an example to the other patients about how to behave themselves. Bojack is confident that all of this ultimately will help because he's trying to bounce back the advice given to him in rehab, that this is a service that has worked for him, so surely it works for others. But again, we've talked about incorrect assumptions and he's made a pretty big one here. Dr. Champ says that this has destroyed him. He won't be allowed back to pastiches. His husband will leave him. Quote, I promise I would never drink again after what happened to our daughter. End quote. Champ scolds Bojack, blames him for getting drunk again in the first place, says that Bojack ruins people who care about him. Quote, I want you to remember this, Bojack. I want you to remember what you did to me. Bojack simply responds with, quote, I remember everything. I'm sober now. He, uh, he gets back in the cab and the taxi finally pulls away from Partridge's, which is right next door to Pastiche's. And it's something that we've never seen before. It's quite a cute gag, but it's quite notable that those two places are side by side little houses on little hills um and he sits in the back of the cab we get a gorgeous shot very similar to diane driving back to hollywood having dropped bodak off in the first place it's that aerial shot again we don't see him going under the tunnel but we know that's obviously where he's headed perhaps in more ways than one um and suddenly he's back at the home he turns his key with the heaviest of size and we hit the credits um that's the end of bodak Horseman's plot in this episode. It's of course not the end of the podcast, Horseman. We're going to get to our other characters. Um, if this felt short and succinct, it wasn't any less to the point for there maybe being a bit less of Bojack this one. A unbelievable pullback and reveal, not in the literal sense in terms of direction and camera work, but of yet again a life we never considered until the character made us consider this. This has been a device they've used a couple of times where you are watching a character's development so much through Bojack's eyes that you forget about their interior life. You have assumed that Bojack, now a right-minded individual, has done the right thing by checking Dr. Champ into rehab. But the cold water to the face of, no, that character has a life, 
that you were nothing to do with. We're just stupid pieces of shit, just like Bojack. It had nothing to do with him. It had nothing to do with us. What it had to do with was a fragile relationship with his husband. It was a fragile relationship to do something with our daughter that we know nothing more of other than this throwaway line that is a loaded gun of a line um, and the potential destruction of Dr. Champ's life. Not the first time they've done this, but an unbelievable usage of it here. How dare we, the viewer, not think beyond Bojack's view of Dr. Champ? Just the most brilliant, disarming, rug pulled out from under your moment to end an episode that otherwise, as we've said, as much as the rehab breakthrough was amazing, was played with a bit of a laugh because he's in the bar and it's the worst place for it, blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, this was as serious as any scene that we've had this season. It was a huge reminder that of the sort of gravitas of the stuff we're actually dealing with here again. Mm. Um, and I just... Yeah, no we, laughing matter. No, no, no matter. certainly not. And we should kind of come back to the fact that takes one to know one and we just mm. didn't think about that did we like the reason dr champ is pretty good at his job is because he's been there he's done that he's got the t-shirt and probably got a few of them to name <laughs> and probably got a few of them to say the least um but i think the sort of reveal about his certain specific life situations of course with like he's mentioned with his partner and with the daughter the daughter one in particular is really, really well done because less is more. And the fact that mm. we don't know that, but that is enough to make us quiver with pure horror at like what that could possibly mean. Like so many different options for what that could be. But then on top of that, you you kind of realise that obviously Dr. Champ has it all together when he's in this environment. When he's being Dr. Champ and he's yeah. working at his job, that's just one version of Dr. Champ. And then you kind of remind that reminds you that we all have these multiple different versions of ourselves, whoever you're with in whatever place you're in. And this just completely smashes that barrier down entirely. Not like Bojack to do this to a therapist, mind you, of course. I mean, who are, <laughs> like, who are Dr. Indira losing two clients in one day, if you recall back in the day, and almost a fracturous relationship with our own partner by retelling Bojack and Diane's story back uh, a few a few seasons ago, or last season, whatever it was. Like, Bojack has a way. It's just, it's just mm. in his nature, in his DNA. There are a couple of points that really dig into Bojack's character flaws. Again, that go unspoken, other than Dr. Champ tearing him a new one for this, for this incident, effectively. Mm. One is how kind of myopic and narcissistic Bojack is to assume that what has worked for him must work to the letter mm. for everybody else because that's exactly kind of how Bojack would take to a situation. Oh, well, this has actually fixed me, so now it's going to fix you. And number two, and again, this never got said out loud. It's not even really, I guess it's inferred in the bollocking that Dr. Champ gives him. The huge, enormous difference between Bojack checking in and Dr. Champ checking in, consent. And how often has consent been a subject matter in Bojack mm. Horseman? Diane drove him all the way there and still said, you want to do this? And he had to walk in by himself, check himself in, completely in control of that situation. The, the one that had the agency to make this choice. Dr. Champ wakes up, and like, not to go dark, but this show does, wakes up, not remembering what has happened, and something has occurred without his consent as a result of the, a dominant male of Hollywood. Yeah. And the like, for Bojack not to even spot the difference in those cases is, again, very him, very Hollywood male, 
very key theme of this show. I think you've opened an excellent can of worms there because, well, obviously I've, you know, cottoned on to the fact of the consent. I don't think I've really thought about it as in-depth as that and the drastic difference between Bojack, the way he went in and the way that mm. uh, Dr. Champ went in. And I guess that's also like, a, there's definite layers underneath all that as well, isn't there? In terms of, we've already kind of covered Bojack and that big um, monologue that he has where he sort of says how, you know, he's never punished properly and he gets away with so much stuff in Hollywood and obviously what that would do to someone's mindset of just thinking, well, we'll just do this then. I'll I'll fix this. Mm. I can do this. You know, I am the saviour in this scenario. Like, I've had a breakthrough. I'm the first person who's ever had that. I now <laughs> am a master of therapy and I yeah. know what to do in this scenario. But he doesn't. And instead, he's destroyed another life. The one thing that really hit me harder than all of that, and I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I think, like I say, I think I had witnessed it, but maybe hadn't given it enough thought in that department. But the thing for me was just how it, this felt like those moments in Bojack, I would I would call the piano moments. You know the ones. Yeah. Dun, dun, mm. When something bad's happening in Bojack and we get the slow piano. Normally, he'd be filled with dread, wouldn't he? But not so much this time mm. because life's a little bit different now and he doesn't have the fear because he's... He's facing up to things now, which yeah. this is still a bad thing. And yet, at first glance, you can maybe see, does it maybe come across as callous or is it just the fact that he's accepted the fact that, yeah, I am, this is who I am and I can't, unfortunately I can't change it and I will have to live with this because I remember it now. I remember everything. I'm sober now. I, I could never decide. Like, the way that it looks, Dr. Champ is really bollocking him here. Like, mm. you've destroyed my life and I want you to remember. And he's like, it's acceptance, but also because of who he is and I guess all of his past. It's, part of it did feel like, not that he's not bothered, but it's like, eh, yeah, getting the, get the line, getting the line. There's a load of people getting getting the line. If he doesn't accept that he's a piece of garbage, then what is he really accepting? Yeah. That's that. That feels like the it's it's a it's a nice shades of grey moment in a show, mm. always always full of them. Somebody can be ten things at once, let alone two, and that's certainly the case with with Bojack. I I I, I it's callous is the word that I think on any other show or with the the wrong style of delivery or the wrong context mm. for a line like that, I think that would play as callous. But this is just Bojack reconciling every version of himself, maybe, all in one, because he's of sound mind to do it for the first time in a long time. It's like, it's just such a clever way of doing it. He's had this massive breakthrough for him as a person and as a character and everything else. But it's the same old, it's a different version of that, but it's the same mm. old something. He's destroyed somebody's life. Only this time, instead of him maybe running away in denial from it and like getting, jumping in the bottle or fleeing off to New Mexico and buying a boat or whatever. <laughs> Instead, he's just kind of like, yeah, I, yeah, this is who I am. I will remember this. I just, mm. it's great. Really great. Really like, really hammered home the seriousness of it all for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was, again, like just sort of speak a little bit, I guess, more about the show rather than the particular plot. I thought it was super economical with this because we're going to get into Todd now. And it's a, it's a heavy one for Todd as well. And then obviously the episode has started proper with the assistance plot. Um, so they've tried. I don't think I don't think they've been massively effective in weighting it out equally. Um, but I just think they were super economical with everything. Nothing felt none of the stories felt underserved, I felt in this episode. Yeah, definitely. And I would just say quickly before you do move on, um, there's a definite pattern here 
that you'll see starts to emerge. We get it with this one. I don't want to say it's us versus them is not what I'm trying to get at. What I'm trying to say is it's the two sides of the coin that I'm trying to show you of different um, the different ways of society. Like, for, for mm. example, with Bojack and Dr. Champ, it's the celebrity versus the everyman. And then the next two, you're going to get something similar in a different way. And I just mm. think they really explore the different perceptions of certain people and places, what they can and can't get away with, and the impact it has on said lives. Well, it's earned, isn't it? Because you've put five seasons worth of incredible detail into all of these characters that at this point you can go off and do that with them because you can trust the audience, I guess. And if mm. you know you can't trust your audience to watch, you can trust them to download a quality podcast that will help flesh some of that stuff hey, out. Hey, there we go. Um, <laughs> speaking of the big things that matter, Todd's doing a sock puppet tribute to Ang Lee for, uh, for Ruthie. When, uh, when Jorge, um, Todd's stepfather, shows up uh, unannounced at the door, uh, there's discussion of the fact that Jorge and Todd's mother kicked Todd out 10 years ago. Um, so things are obviously still quite raw. Um, and Jorge is still cross that uh, he just thinks Todd has wasted the Chavez name and all the prestige that once came with that. But they can't deal with that right now because Todd's mother is in a coma and needs Todd's kidney. Uh, he's a match, of course, um, which would be absolutely fine. But Todd sold it just last week to buy the sock puppets. And they are the cheapest looking sock puppets you can imagine. Should have gone with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles toys instead. Um, anyway, that leads to an adventure with Todd and Ruthie and Jorge. They're off to buy it back from the organ market that Todd sold it to. Um, this is not what you think it is. They arrive at Mike and Morgan's House <laughs> of Organs. Mike, Mike and Morgan, to set the scene a little bit, are a couple that are getting along because Mike and Morgan's House of Organs is going out of business due to a miscommunication about what it is exactly they sold. <laughs> it turns out they sell pianos and body parts because Mike was so desperate to be honest when they'd done advertising saying they sell all kinds of organs. Um, typical, again, that the man has been completely logical while, while the woman is trying to keep the train on the tracks. Uh, they ended up getting stuck with both. So you kind of see a series of body parts along with a, a giant sort of church organ that Mike is playing um, to welcome them to the shop. Um, all the kidneys have been bought by guess who? Jeremiah White Whale. Back in the frame yet again. Uh, he wants all these organs so he can stay alive forever. <laughs> He's just setting up a factory of various body parts in order to keep himself going, um, I guess, to become immortal. Um, Todd buys some anesthesia on the way out of the shop, which is not for himself, but for Jorge, who he knocks out so they can fly to Chicago. Uh, they find them, we kind of, we wake up, I guess, through Jorge's eyes in Diane and Guy's apartment. Um, it turns out Todd flew in there, weekend at Bernie's style, um, and Diane already has this grand plan to get them into the White Whale building. Of course, this plays off nicely with the various conspiracy theories that Diane was following up with the company. Um, privately, and I think he might be right, Guy notes that this might be her putting off doing her book, um, but she insists that it's obviously just to help her friend Todd, and she convinces him that it's a good use of her time rather than getting to the book. It's going to give her some experiences, and you know, without these experiences, what can a book possibly be? Um, 
Jorge isn't convinced by the crazy plan, but then why would he be? He's not been watching six seasons of Bojack Horseman. Todd, naturally, is absolutely sure it'll work, and I'll be honest, so was I. Um, Todd and Jorge get to the White Whale doors. Uh, Todd fails spectacularly to get in with Diane's pass, uh, because, of course, it says Diane the win on, and the bouncers having absolutely none of it. Uh, Jorge, however, gets them in, pretending to be a cleaner and making the bouncer feel incredibly awkward that he can't speak the language. A um, little bit more on that later. Um, inside, Jorge notes that he was just doing things in a logical and straightforward way, which again is kind of a bit of a, a meta commentary on how it never goes that way for Todd. Todd looks completely confused that the common sense strategy would work because Todd as a character in the show has never needed to follow that path. We're going to find out why better late than never at the very end of this plot. Um, we find them. We find the characters in the uh, sort of warehouse floor where this like massive selection of kidneys and other organs are being kept, just like factory level stacks of boxes full of organs. It's pretty terrifying. Um, Jorge gets rid of the security guard by noting that somebody's trying to put ketchup on a hot dog. It's Chicago. That's <laughs> unacceptable. Um, which further earns Todd's kind of begrudging respect. And they're about ready um, to find Todd's kidney. Um, Jorge says after this, they won't bother him again. And uh, notes that, quote, we know that's what you want. To which Todd quite angrily replies, why would I want that? This gets them back into an argument about the distance that's been there over the last 10 years, about how Jorge raised Todd. Um, Jorge just assumes that he's failed him. He uses the example that Todd's, babysitting Ruthie for a living and he's not even living in his own place but he's not really thought to find out any more about Todd's journey we know that Todd has been you know a high-ranking executive at a major conglomeration he's had his own Disneyland he's managed to live a life and more importantly Todd exclaims that he's happy regardless of whatever Jorge's expectations or judgments were um let's not forget either Michael he was a millionaire he was a millionaire he's never a millionaire Jorge hasn't answered the questions, as hasn't asked the questions, and he's never picked up the phone. He just wants to know that he'll be okay. At which point Todd replies, Well, why haven't you called in 10 years then? Jorge snaps back. You don't think I wanted to? I'm not the one who. At which point it becomes clear that Todd's mother, and indeed, I guess her pride, has been the barrier, not just between her and Todd, but between Jorge and Todd being able to maintain a relationship. She's perhaps more of the cause of the divide than anybody has wanted to say in this time. Um, in the meantime, I should point out Diane, who is all in on this plan for no obvious reason other than putting off doing the book. Guy was right. Um, she's in a nearby tower and spots security on the way back up in the lift. But she can't let them know via walkie-talkie because when she patches in, it turns out she left the other one in the kitchen and she Man. just ended up putting a pretzel order through to Guy. So her one role to be there as lookout has failed spectacularly yet again. Todd and Jorge are rumbled by the security midway through a physical fight and it reaches a crescendo right as his kidney appears ready to grab. There's this key moment where the security has them both effectively at the security equivalent of gunpoint with a torch where they've got their hands up in the air. Are they going to reach and grab for the kidney? Jorge just concedes, surrenders himself and Todd sort of angrily grumbles in disgust. Um, luckily, the slightly bigoted security guard assumes that Jorge is attacking Todd. Todd literally explains their plan to steal the kidney and the security guard calls him, quote, a little scamp, ruffles his hair and just 
fucking gives him it. He just hands it clean over while he still won't let Jorge take his arms down on the off chance that he's a threat after the fact. <laughs> he's, Jorge, not used to Todd's look, obviously, just replies with a, Wah! And we get that circus. Da, 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 da. Everything's wrapped up nicely for Todd music. Uh, they're kind of breaking things down in the hospital waiting room after the fact. Jorge and Todd are finally re- like reconciling a little bit over the events of the day. And Jorge apologises for Todd's hard upbringing. <laughs> this is the moment, the light bulb moment for poor Jorge. He notes that things never came easy for him when he was a child. He had to work all his life and he just wanted to instill those values into Todd. He wanted to be a good father to Todd. And he should have just remembered, Todd's white. <laughs> That's the realisation after all of this. Todd replies, quote, I forgive you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, that moment is broken up by um, the news that Todd's mother has awoken from her coma. Jorge says that she'd love to see him, but Todd simply replies, she has my number. When Jorge notes that's pretty cold, Todd says, what do you expect? I'm a Chavez, right? And they part ways. Uh, it's a lot and a little all of this, because of course it's this reunion that we get from the dialogue has should have taken place sooner than it did. Todd finally drills down as to why Jorge seems quite doting as far as distant stepfathers go, uh, why he hasn't called. It's about his mother, who of course he has just saved the life of. Uh, and then it becomes out of nowhere, brilliantly, a fleeting commentary on race. They cover a lot. Of course they do. Of course they cover a lot. That's that's what this show does. But yeah, a really, really well handled little mini narrative of this. Um, I just, you know, touch back on what we kind of, what I mentioned before there from the other narrative of giving you two different sides of the coin, two different worlds here. Yeah, and the way they sort of tie in, you know, the, uh, the topic of race in with mm. the fact that Todd and his estranged family um, are trying to work through some issues here. Yeah, and, this amazing sort of commentary on not a miscommunication, but the differences between generations and the differences between humans, people in general, what their mm. certain standards are, what their what their ideal route to happiness or their ideal route to success or whatever is like just an amazing little interaction this between Todd and Jorge throughout the whole thing, and the the way they kind of explore that. Maybe he's a little bit more similar to him than he'd like to admit as well. Then we find mm. that the one guy who Todd sort of, the way he's presented as being his stepfather, there's this instant, well, they can't have that much in common because you must be the stepfather. But then, I mean, the way that Jorge manages to get inside, he says using, he calls it using logic and, and what have you to get in there, is just an alternate version of a ruse to get in somewhere like Todd would come up with, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. nothing different. And it's amazing the way they show you how, yes, they are from very different backgrounds. And, of course, Todd is white. Um, but And yet still, they show you the connection that's in there, that, that sort of unspoken connection between the two. And I just, I love this. There's a little mini narrative. I really, really love this. And it just ticks so many boxes with these. Am I right in thinking, speaking of making connections, I guess, that the point you were making, at the, without spoiling this, obviously, at the end of the Bojack plot, very, very similar, like Todd and... Uh, Jorge's final interaction of Todd literally walking off the shot with a kind of, I don't know, like a cinematic closing line. Armin mm. Chavez mirrors Bojack's I remember everything now. 
Is it callous? Is it realistic? Is it fair? Is it all of the above? Like the again, like very very clear symmetry between. There's a cool hand loop quality to it, but it's it's barbed as well. I feel almost like it's people so far there that's back to back two guys who live in Hollywood and two guys who don't like. Hmm. Well, in the Hollywood bubble, I know Doctor Champ obviously technically lives in LA. I assume that's prestigious. It's Malibu, isn't it? For LA, for yeah. um, prestigious. But you got these two guys who live in this world, and that's that's how their narrative ends. Like with this these little one liners where they get the day and they walk off. I say they get the day, you know what I mean? They they get mm. to have the final word with two other people who are left. So I wouldn't say Jorge is worse off, but he's left to to kind of deal with it. And Doctor Champ yeah. is left completely worse off. So yeah, interesting. And I just like again, like I said, that you're going to see it again in the next narrative. But the way they sort of I'm trying to delve into two different worlds to show you the, the multitude of perspectives that can be had. I've just, this episode really, was really rewarding on this rewatch, I have to say. I love, um, like, the, the only last thing I just wanted to dwell a bit longer on, because it's it's so funny and it's so well presented, but they've, they've always done this with Bojack. And again, it's something, the longer you get to know Todd, the longer you get to know characters. You, all the great shows establish fairly tight rules of the universe. And we are well deep into accepting the rules of the Bojack universe, which state now that a wacky Todd plan makes more sense than a common sense plan. And it's always really funny when they play with that expectation by bringing somebody from what resembles the real world, in the case of Jorge, into our little strange Bojack world. So the ruffling of the hair payoff from the security guard is really funny, a total surprise, completely inspired, but so much more what we're used to. And then they play on that by having, it's as if you, if you'd sat down with a complete stranger that jumped into Bojack here, they would react exactly as Jorge did. Yeah. Like exasperation, total confusion. But we, the longstanding viewer, have come to know this world. It's It's obviously a fun gag for us, the viewer, but it's a Hollywood commentary as well. This world is stupid and stupidity, the Peter Principle, rises and rises and rises until it can rise no more. And poor Jorge from normal humanity cannot wrap his head around it in a way that we are completely comfortable with. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think that's just, you know, you've mentioned it there. Todd being this source where people see his face and are just like, ah! <laughs> I mean, I could, I could be sitting here all night listening to the amount of people who've had that moment with Todd throughout this show's life up to this point. And I just... It's a great, it never gets old, man. It's a great <laughs> bit. It really is. But I think what a way to kind of maybe recontextualize it all for you, maybe think about it. Because out of the gang, Todd is the one white male. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. you kind of, because we watched this show for so long, you obviously think of Bojack, you think of Mr. Peanut Butter. If they were just men, I would guarantee they'd be white. I guarantee yes. that much. Definitely. But they aren't. And so the thing we've always seen with Todd of him just being like, ah, he's just got one of those faces and some might even call it a godlike quality where people are just mm. so enamoured by him. But in actual fact, they've literally spelled it out for us yeah, in a way that I don't think I'd ever looked at until this interaction where he is just that one white guy who hangs yeah. around that gang who gets away with bloody murder because he's an idiot. And that's he, the way the system works. He's a straight white dude, isn't he? Yeah. That's what he is. Straight white I dude. Think- I forgive you, Jesus Christ. I forgive you. What a line that is, man. Good Lord. Oh. Um, back 
I guess, not to Princess Carolyn, back to Princess Carolyn, because I guess that was where the episode began. Um, at the Vim offices, the aforementioned chaos reigns. You've got somebody eating out with the rubbish down in the reception. There's thunderstorms outside. It has literally brought hell onto Earth, the fact that all the assistants are still on strike. Lenny Turtletop is furious that they want respect. Um, but then Princess Carolyn has a plan. Give them not what they want, but what they think they want. Princess Carolyn notes that when she was an assistant, all she wanted was to not be an assistant. Lenny Turtletop absolutely loves this idea straight away. Um, I should point out before we get to the negotiations, we have a brief interaction that doesn't go anywhere this episode, but it's just to play off the assistant's gag. Joey Pogo um, bumps into Mr. Peanut Butter in Elefante uh, and wants to set up with a meeting. Wants to set up a meeting with him after his mental health and people uh, got in touch and were keen for Mr. Peanut Butter to share his story with the world. At the mention of the world, of course, Peanut Butter's ears prick up. It's an opportunity, I guess. Um, not like not the first time that him admitting to having mental health trouble has gotten him out of bother. Effectively, it's how this can be used, how it can be monetized. Um, but nothing's going to occur because without assistance, Nicholas, how could they possibly meet? If only there was a way for them to meet and literally have this conversation. Just. <laughs> Like, a great way to move that story forward while labouring on this fabulous assistance gag. But we go to the negotiations. Um, Princess Carolyn and Lady Turtletop meet first with Casey. Um, not to break the strike, as they put it, but to offer her a job as a development executive. Good pay, good parking spot, good job. And quote, her own assistant. You're not one of them anymore. You're one of us. They slide over the two-year contract in that ever-so-dramatic way. And after some struggle with herself, she signs, she breaks, they get her. Lenny and PC laugh maniacally and then pretend it's just about an in-joke that they don't even let her in on as they're booting her out the door. Um, we then get a montage as they kind of take advantage of the other browbeaten strike captains um, with only Stuart remaining, that <laughs> thick sod. Uh, he's about to <laughs> sign off. He's about to sign off on the rest of the assistants getting nothing and returning back to work on Monday. Um, Stuart, having heard that the other assistant strike captains are going to get promotions, asks if he's going to get one. And Lenny Turtletop replies non-committally with, well, yeah, probably one day. What a slime. And it's in that moment where Princess Carolyn suddenly has this flashback to her many, many moons ago, asking from a, for a raise or a promotion from her boss, Marv, who, of course, we met a long time ago, that gross, awful man that she used to work for. Um, it's all false promises. It's all scummy tasks. It's just really bad times. In this particular case, he asks her, he basically pies off any hope of her getting a promotion. It's not for now. She's thinking too much like an assistant, Nicholas. That's gonna. There's going to be another day where she'll get to be an agent again, just dangling the carrot in front of her. Oh, asks her to quote, Try on these apology bikinis and report back where they pinch. I recall earlier with Marv, they didn't waste a word of making his sentences as gross as humanly possible. And Christ, have they done it again here. It's at this moment of realisation and indeed recollection that she manages to delay Stuart signing off on that horrendous deal that, uh, you know, I say negotiated, that he's just ultimately had forced in front of him. She says there's a typo in there about Billy Bob Thornton stinking, which <laughs> I only I only mention because this allows Lenny Turtletop to reel off about 51 liners about Billy Bob Thornton smelling. Always make sure to say what a great actor he is. But he has a lot of these lines in his back pocket. I'll let the uh, listeners decide what they think of that particular gag. Um, 
But Princess Carolyn walks Stuart out of the office. And indeed, I was going to say back to his car. It's not into his car. The thick bastard hasn't even got a car. But she walks him, <laughs> she walks him out of the office and into the rain nonetheless. Um, he's not capable of doing these negotiations. And Princess Carolyn, having realised that she should be on the side of the assistants, not on the side of the studios. Nice one, PC. Keep that red flag flying high. She gives him the number of somebody else who she thinks might be able to do it better instead. She has to clarify that this isn't a dollar amount. It's a phone number. Jesus wept. So, next morning, Princess Carolyn and Lenny Turtletop arrive back in for what Lenny assumes rather cocksuredly will be the last negotiation. But somebody else is in his chair. Take a time sack, Nicholas. Because it's King Judah, mate. He turns yeah. around. And as he swivels in the chair, the thunder literally clears behind him. <laughs> the blue skies are back. Judah has got Lenny by the balls because it's not nine o'clock. It's nine up in three. And Judah would know that because he's in charge of the situation as always. That's not good enough. He puts Lenny back in his place saying, well, if we're going to do business, we're going to do it the proper way. Best adjourn till tomorrow. Of all the cool, calm and collected walkouts of this episode, this one was the best. Judah says goodbye. There is a wonderfully understated interaction between Judah and Princess Carolyn. Judah, Princess Carolyn, as the legends, the mega powers come back together. Lenny is, <laughs> Lenny is shell-shocked. They are having that. And e Princess Princess Carolyn is quietly overjoyed. This is not where we hit the credits of the episode, but please can this be where we hit the credits of my life because I was popping like a motherfucking cork for the return of the man. Return of the man. Oh, dog. <laughs> return of the Judah Manor dog himself. And what a return it was. Oh, my God. I know there's a lot of other things to unpack here, but it's so good to have Judah back, man. Like... I didn't realise until he spun around in that chair just how much I have missed that man. He's just the best. And the best. I, I mean, after they've had such a like a literal, figurative and literal cloud over this part of the narrative in this episode, the rain, the misery, the thunder, the maniacal evil looking Princess Carolyn and Danny Turtletop, to have him literally turn up and change everything. <laughs> and the parting of the miserable weather. Beautiful stuff, this. Judah is back, everyone. Everything's going to be fine because Judah's back. What? How could? How could it be that's, bad? That's it, isn't it? That is it. Everything is going to be. Got any problems in your life? Solved. Because Judah's back. Yeah. Don't worry. Judah is two five hundred steps ahead of you already. <laughs> Judah has figured it out. He's on it. He's flying ahead of you. Oh, it's so good to have him back. It really, really is. But let's not let this distract us, Michael Hampler. Away from an important quick change here because Princess Carolyn. For this episode, it's a bit evil, Michael. She's mm -hmm. a bit evil. She gets lulled in by the um, the importance of the Hollywood bubble, the importance of protecting her own interests. And she's on the wrong side for a good part of this episode. Mm. Of course, th thankfully, she realises the error of her ways. But the way they make this even worse is the way that she has Ruthie attached to her at times <laughs> on the little, like the baby holding thing she's got on her. Yeah. And she's just evil. Like, she's she's really good at her job, obviously. And it, she just finds herself on the wrong end of history here, I think it's fair to say, until she doesn't. Because, of course, it's Princess Carolyn, so she would always figure it out eventually. But what a real juxtaposition that was chucking up for the whole episode. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. It's such a perfect pay, obviously because it's Judah, but it's a perfect payoff to her um, her own realization. Because of course, all of this is rooted in the fact that everybody needs assistance if we know one person that could probably get by without an assistant it's princess carolyn um or she shares <laughs> yeah she shares lenny's panic obviously um but ultimately if anyone could probably manage in this situation it's going to be her she's not going to be babied like the rest of them however if she could choose one assistant that she would value back in her life it's judah and she gets him and of all of all the ways for her to see the error of her ways and think actually Yes, these aren't just valuable people. They are the most valuable people. She finds the most valuable person in the history of this show and brings him back in. And I, I love that realization. It is it's really important as well because you're not just you are punching the air for the return of Judah, but almost lost in the momentum of that is that Princess Carolyn's fought the good fight at the death. She's not um completely sort of she's not followed through on obviously Casey and a couple of others have got their deals, but she's not followed through to the point where that wretched final contract was signed by Stuart that would have given the assistants nothing. And that's just nice. That's just who you want it to be. It's brilliant because they really flirt with the idea of um, corruption and how, mm. what is more important, self-service or everybody wins. Like, and this is something that will come up in everyone's life probably at some point, in some mm-hmm. stage of their life. You might go into one thing with your morals and your ethics and the way you see the world. But when someone starts waving financial security, health, better living, everything like this in your face and starts testing your resolve, suddenly things become a little bit less black and white. And I think that the amazing thing here that they do is they show the corruption of each individual assistant one by one because they're at that stage in their life where that money will make a difference, where that mm. sort of position will make a difference. The promotion will make a difference. Casey's had... job. Casey's yeah. job sounded so great, didn't it? it sounded, like even yeah. as you're sat there, not course, and it's yeah. not a real show, two years to read scripts and get well paid yeah. for it. Like that that sounds appealing through an animated show to us as human beings, doesn't it? Like they made that sound like so hard to knock back. 
and that's the magic of it because it makes you think about well what, what would I do in that situation mm. because and it will define you as a person when if you ever had that moment trust me it defines <laughs> you as a human being let me tell you but the brilliant thing they show you here is the one person who figures it out and then ends up making the change none of those assistants do we should point out Stuart is too stupid to even get a chance to do that <laughs> Princess Carolyn though he has the vision to see the bigger picture and realise this is wrong, this isn't right, and it shouldn't be me I'm self-serving because I don't need it. I'm ahead of the game. I'm not on a stage in my life where I need this. I should be helping the next generation because, God damn it, I needed that help back then. And instead, I was helping Marv with peekaboo negligee, which nobody, oh. and or bikinis or whatever it is in this particular episode, nobody wants to see that. And also, she writes a wrong probably, which we all might feel, with Judah after all this time, yeah. because he was unceremoniously fired, if you recall, for the, well, he's, ironically, almost being too good of an assistant, like, mm-hmm. um, to the point where Princess Carolyn was unhappy that he hadn't mentioned a potential merger or a deal with Charlie Witherspoon, I believe it was, yes, at the time, right. and that's what saw him get, you know, get the bullet in the end. She felt like she couldn't trust him in a moment where her life was pretty hectic, and now she's realised the error of the ways. It's given her an excuse to go and get back in touch with Judah. And the dream team's back, Michael. The dream team's yes. back in business. And uh, you love to see it. You, you really, really do. do. You love to see it. Things I love to see, Judah. That's it. <laughs> Full stop. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Anyway, all Judah excitement aside, shall we do a bit of horsing around? I yes, think please. it could well be time. Where we go back through the episode and we find all of the hidden meanings behind certain things, the small details you might have missed, or indeed the Easter eggs within the episode and I was having a little glance there there was a few a lot a lot of good dialogue in this episode though some really Mm. really great dialogue but let's go back to the very beginning and it's MSNBC Michael it's Tom Grumbo Jumbo the man whose name we will never ever get wrong ever again (laughs) and he's on the news talking about the party crashers as the headline will tell you and there's a little aeroplane in the corner with a party hat on and surrounded by balloons and as he tells you all about this the news ticker is going across the bottom as always We've got a few interesting ones. Yeah, we've got um, Admissions Scandal Rocks Booty Academy, which, of course, is a clever little wink and nod because Felicity Huffman in real life was, of course, caught up in those um, the scandals to do with the, the admissions to schools, wasn't she? Yeah, and Obviously, brilliant. the Booty Academy that she features in this show, they've obviously realised, well, this didn't age well, and they've obviously <laughs> course-corrected on their own news ticker. Yeah, brilliant stuff, this. The next one says, anti-vax actress claims there are no small parts, only small children with smallpox. <laughs> <laughs> that takes on that takes on a new life in there, 2021, isn't it? It certainly does. I read anti-vax and I was like, how have they done this? This is impossible. <laughs> um, and the final one you get the read says, controversial new film casts white zebra with black stripes to play black zebra with white stripes. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so good. Really, really good stuff from the news ticker. We go across from there to Lenny Turtle Tob's boardroom is what I've called it, where they're having the meetings about the uh, the strike and how to resolve it. There's a bit of art on the wall, Michael, which feels quite relevant. We got a Bojack Horseman version of, and I apologise because I'm definitely going to butcher this name, 
Anne-Louis Giraudet de Rossi Triosons painting The Revolt in Cairo on the 21st of October, 1798, which is a bunch of people fighting and trying to overthrow the tyranny of the rulers from their specific time. But as you can imagine, it's a Bojack Horseman version and it's in Lenny Turtletop's office. So all the people in the painting are, of course, turtles, Michael, because what else of are they going to be? Quick bit of uh, intel on the, on the painting. The painting depicts the historical event from the Napoleonic conquest of Egypt when the people of Cairo revolted against the French. It was a bloodbath, and by the end, 5,000 to 6,000 Carians were dead or wounded. And just in the context of this episode, given all the negotiations and the sort of casualties of war, perhaps, that we're going to end up with along the way, <laughs> I just felt like that was quite well placed in Lenny Turtledale's office. Of course he's got that pin. He's such a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> we go from there though to the lovely strike the strike day one is what I've labelled this as of course that uh, apocalyptic scene almost that you mentioned at the beginning before the opening credits we see a bunch of road signs on the streets of LA there's one for Sao Pulveda Boulevard instead of Sepulveda Boulevard Sao of course Michael being the pig and uh, we've got the mm. Cow Huenga Boulevard instead of Cahuenga Boulevard which is of course a cow Michael because it's a cow <laughs> and also we get Ventuna Boulevard Boulevard instead of Ventura Boulevard. Do you get it? See what they're doing there? There's also two big posters on the wall to the right that you'll see. I'm trying to order these in the one that I'm going to get the pop for me the most. And the second one, I'm hoping will. Um, on one poster, we'll see Birthday Dad, of course, a poster of Mr. Peanut Butter looking up to the sky as tears are pouring from his little face. It's all emotional. And next to that, Michael, another show or film, it's not quite specified, called Buttcano, which is a <laughs> volcano that is shaped like a butt that is farting gas into the air like it just <laughs> erupted. A TV show I think we both like to watch, but maybe we'll never get the chance. <laughs> When he said just erupted there, I thought you were going to say farting gas into the air like it just don't care. <laughs> well, that as well, to be honest. It doesn't look like there were that, many f***s given when Bud Kano went off in this one. subtitle for Bud Kano 2, do you think? Yes, quite possibly. <laughs> I like the idea in my head that it's like the Sharknado films, this. There's Bud Kano all the way through, like Bud Kano <laughs> Night or something like that. <laughs> Sand butts. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, just the last couple of things in that scene. There's a couple of license plates you can see on cars. One is L1CPL4T, which is, of course, license plate speak for license plate. And then there's also <laughs> nice. another another one, which is T4X1LA, and that is on the back of a taxi. And it's, of course, spelling Taxi LA. That's the way they do it oh, in nice. this show. We go have the opening credits, nothing changed there. We go from there, though, to Bojack's room in Pastiches, of course, you mentioned, where uh, Dr. Champ is recovering from his hangover. And as you mentioned, on the table in front of him, in focus, you can see some cures for the hangover, some tablets named Hangover Be Gone, B-Gone, <laughs> on the table there. Um, and, of course, we get the wonderful, wonderful repeat gag. There's got to be something more of this, which we will uncover, I'm sure. But, of course, Dr. Champ says to Bojack, but how do I get out of here without anyone seeing me? <laughs> to which Bojack simply says, Oi. <laughs> <laughs> because all he's done all season round is tie veggies together and help people escape, just like that episode of Horsing Around. Almost, Michael, like it's trying to remind him of that one thing that might have escaped his head. That one person who was missing from that episode of Horse Around, who was it? I can't remember. You'll have to tell me. Um, <laughs> we go outside, though, and we finally do get out that window. Rather unceremoniously, I think it's fair to say. Um, 
There's a minibus, you mentioned it already. It has on the wagon on the front because they're on the literal wagon. And of course, sober and loving it on the side with a license plate that reads PCHES 05, aka Hastiches 05. Right. Um, must be minibus number five of many, I assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go to Princess Carolyn's apartment from there. And Todd, as you mentioned, is of course acting out a scene in a tribute to Ang Lee with the sock puppets, which it seems to be a scene from Brokeback Mountain because he mentions Alma, he mentions Ennis, and mentions Jack Twist while doing all the puppetry in front of Ruthie. We also, Michael, find out a very, very important thing in this show that we have not found out in the whole time we've watched it, and that is what the Chavez name stands for. Mm. C is for cerebral, (laughs) H is for high-minded, A is for analytical. V is for voracious, E is for efficacious, and Z is for zealously practical. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're cheating on that Z a little bit. I think you're cheating on that Z a little bit. <laughs> he, he said what we were all thinking, I think Todd did there. We go from there to Vim Management, um, and there's a lovely little gag here. As you said, again, post-apocalyptic looking scene inside Vim Management because of all the assistance being missing. Brilliantly, though, on the reception desk, you will see a pile, like a, a pile, like a, a vase of plants with a little notice on it that says, it is an edible arrangement for my dear, which is what the note says. But of course, dear is spelled D-E-E-R. And for anybody who's paying attention, of course, the receptionist in Vim is the dear with the antlers where he usually keeps all the keys and all the oh, postcards yes. and all the things. So he's not at his desk, but he has certainly had some edible arrangement of plants sent to him by presumably his partner. Uh, we go from there into Princess Carolyn's office in Vim Management. And if you're looking around in her office, you'll see a few fun things. Uh, on the, the image on her iMac screen is uh, a sort of title for a web page that reads Crabletics. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a presumably a picture of a crab person's behind, like the shot of their bum, and they're wearing active wear pants. So it's like Crabletics active wear. And you can see the... the Clipper? What do you call them? It's claw. You can see a claw, but yeah. you most just see the crab's butt, which I thought was <laughs> an interesting choice. Crabletics. There you go. Also, around the screen are a bunch of like post-it notes that Princess Carolyn has put there for herself. One says, you're great. U-R-G-R-8. There's one that says, pick up Ruthie. There's one that says, don't forget to eat. And one that says, I think, call Teller. T-E-L-L-E-R. Not our, my brain immediately went to Penn and Teller, but also... Yeah. Uh, it might not be Teller because it was hard to read because it's quite small. If anybody has anything better for that, do let us know at Podcast Horseman. But, of course, you mentioned it in the uh, in your review a little bit there. Princess Carolyn does use her opportunity to think about what can we give the assistants instead of what they actually want. We end up getting that wonderful meta gag and commentary that I feel like could only have been coming from the exact direct mouth of Raphael Bob Waxberg, but she delivers it brilliantly nonetheless. Maybe we could circumvent giving the assistants what they want by giving them what they think they want. You know, how we satiate TV creators by giving them little vanity cards at the end of episodes, then sell the shows to streaming networks that auto-skip the end credits so no one even sees the vanity cards. And that sounds like a... I'm going to applaud that too. Absolutely fantastic. Incredible. An incredible placement of it, and undoubtedly, for anybody who's ever watched almost any interview with Raphael Bob Waxberg ever, he loves the fact that Netflix produces his show and helps him and helped give the world Bojack Horseman. However, not a fan of 
the end credits being skipped automatically, which I totally agree with. Personally, I have them that turned off as a feature on Netflix because it drives me absolutely mad when that happens because it just skips all of the people who've worked their ass off on that show, mm-hmm. not to mention the fact that you missed the song and not to mention the fact, of course, as he mentions there, the vanity cards that you get at the end that actually tell people what the production companies were, who did what. Brilliant this. I love this as a dig. And it's just it's important because in a show where we're in an episode where we're talking about the things that matters, the little details and respecting your workers, this is about as good as it gets, right? I turn this off after this episode. I turn that feature off after this episode. RBW made me a better man. Because and it's not it's obviously not just Bojack Horseman now that extends to everything. Yeah. I don't at all miss the next episode feature. If anything, when I have it in other streaming services that I can't change, it's an inconvenience because I've become used to the way the Netflix does it. And as you say, like it's not just getting to see the uh, the title cards at the end, uh, the various production companies or the people that made it. But often there's lovely gifts in the credits, whether it be in the form of Easter eggs or lovely music, as you mentioned. Um, I leave the credits on. That's all we got to tell them as all. Yeah. Leave, if, you, if you get one thing out of this podcast, leave the credits on. Yeah, definitely. You actually, It's more rewarding, I promise you, because it also gives you the option to just pick and choose what you're doing rather than be hmm. a mindless thing that Netflix is just <laughs> stuffing its tube into and telling you, this is what I'm feeding you your episodes for today. <laughs> Although I will point out, Michael, funnily enough, I have been re-watching Mad Men recently, and Amazon, you know, we do have a dig at Amazon on this podcast. Well, I'm going to continue that habit. Stop skipping my goddamn episodes at the end. Because yes. the end song, the end song of Mad Men is always excellent. Oh, God, I can't do this. That's a whole other podcast in itself. <laughs> but God damn it, Michael Hanford, if Amazon tries to take away my closing song of Mad Men one more time, I swear to God, I'm going to punch Jeff Bezos right in his face. <laughs> anyway. Oh, all that's... these weeks where I was like these thinly veiled digs and it's reached the point of physical violence to Jeff Bezos' person <laughs> over Mad Men. It's not even our Bojack, it's another show. He's got no right. He's got absolutely no right. If Jeff Bezos was Don Draper, maybe I'd listen to him. Anyway, back <laughs> to Bojack Horseman. Good Lord. Let the let the heart rate come back down because the last little thing that happens in that office is <laughs> Lenny Tiltob. <laughs> which we haven't had from him in a while, to be honest. Yeah. But a fun one nonetheless, even though Tiltob is a piece of shit, he still makes me laugh when he does these little gags. He says... Princess Carolyn, I'll say to you what I said to David Levy when we were developing the Adams family and brainstorming ancillary characters like cousins and whatnot. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and God damn it, it's been a while since we've heard one of them, man, because we haven't mm. seen Turtle Tarb in this kind of, uh, this frequency in a while. And he used to drop them all the time. So a nice little callback there. We go across to Elephant here. Speaking of nice little callbacks, the waiter brings across a meal for a couple. One of them is a fly man, not a fly looking man, an actual fly for a man. And the other one is his human partner, a woman. And he basically drops down the meals on how he assumes they would want their meals, Michael. One of the meals is a tray of poop and garbage that he presumes (laughs) the fly is going to eat. And the other one is what I think looks like a risotto. Um, or risotto, depending on who's listening to this, who knows, um, for the woman. But instead, obviously, they just flip it round. The woman wants to eat, <laughs> she wants to eat the poop in the garbage on a tray. Like it's like a can of, a crumpled can of beer, some poo, something else. And he's like, he's the one took it into the risotto. It's such a cute little gag, but it's a very good one nonetheless. Um, we go from there across to Joey Pogo, though, of course, who's at the bar. And I just thought it was great the way they subvert this. Wow, Mr. Peanut Butter and Joey Pogo in the same room. What is this? Two days ago when I almost hit you with my car. <laughs> <laughs> 
so close to Mr. Peanut Butter getting someone else who wants to do a crossover episode, but not today, Michael Hamplet. Uh, we go across to Pastiches, and as we've mentioned already, brilliantly Bojack walking down that corridor, once again doing his weird coming-of-age film, I'm leaving, I'm moving on to my next thing, walk. Uh, he walks past the same doors we've usually seen. No Robert Cryer, as we <laughs> sobby Bobby, as they call him, <laughs> outside his room. But we do, Michael, get to learn who S. Norton was, who you might remember from the last time, uh, who was Snorton, obviously. That was the joke there. It's a woman who he calls, who must be called Susan Norton, Michael, because, of course, he calls her Stinky Susan. <laughs> <laughs> She then not she smells herself as he walks past her, doesn't yeah. she? That's the like, oh man. And I guess the gag also would be, how on earth would you know what she smelled like if she's completely and utterly destroyed her nose by snorting too many drugs? <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Wonderful stuff across the board. But then as we mentioned, you get outside of pastiches uh, and Bojack actually gets in a cabra cadabra mm. car, Michael. Uh, we all remember them, of course, Todd's venture. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, just a notable fact, this this is the first time I can remember, because uh, the Cabacadabra drivers used to be all of the dancers from Whale World, correct me if I'm wrong, all the female dancers. Mm. This was not a female dancer, this was actually a human driver, which leads me to believe that maybe Cabacadabra has evolved a little bit in the time that has passed. Yes. Maybe yeah. we've got more, like a more varied selection of women who are driving the cabs. But also on top of that, we get a license plate for the cab, which is C-B-R-A-G-R-L, which is a.k.a. Cabra Girl, which, of course, is short for Cadabra. Um, we go across to Mike and Morgan's House of Organs for no other reason, <laughs> Michael. And I just wanted to say, what a great concept and what a big <laughs> and what a big pop this got out of me. A stupid <laughs> act, but very funny indeed. We go across to Guy's House in Chicago, as you mentioned. Um, on the fireplace on the mantel, you'll kind of see there's an ornamental American football on there. That's what I've called it. You know what I mean? Just a display football. Mm. And instead of having Wilson, as most of the um, American footballs do, sort of stitched into it, it has Walrus written on it instead. <laughs> because why the hell not? We also get um, a couple of bits from Todd, who talks about how he <laughs> how he actually got into Chicago by taking Jorge on a weekend at Bernie's type um, gag that got him from... Uh, from LA over across to Chicago. And you get a few pictures Todd takes and it shows you, you just, I'll go through them here. The first one is him walking through uh, airport security, literally about to go through the metal detector as a security guard looks on at him a bit like, what? Todd has literally got Jorge over his shoulder with a <laughs> pair of sunglasses on, giving the guard a thumbs up, which I guess <laughs> the more you look at this ties into him, the white guy just getting away with whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, Thumbs up, walking through airport security. From there, we get the second one, which is them sitting on the aeroplane, and Jorge's like, he's put a neck pillow on Jorge, and he's sort of leaning back in the chair, the glasses <laughs> off, pointing up. Todd's behind him, waving at whoever's taking the picture. Presumably, I don't know who. Who is it taking the picture? Just someone That's on the plane? That's a good point, yeah. I don't because know. Diane and Guy, I assume, were already waiting in Chicago for them. Hmm. Um, and finally, the last image is just Todd, who's obviously made it to Chicago with Jorge, who's got drool coming down his face at this point because he's been out of it for so long. <laughs> uh, and he just decides it's important to go and get a tourist picture of the two of them next to Cloudgate, of course. The thing in Millennium Park, the big bean-looking thing, mm-hmm. the silver shiny thing. And he and Jorge get a nice picture of them next to. So lovely stuff there as they do their weekend at Bernie's Gag to get him all the way across to Chicago. We go from there across the PC and Turtletop. 
in this little montage where they are essentially corrupting all the assistants uh, in various different ways. But I just thought this was wonderful. There's an amazing moment for the second assistant where he's a rabbit, so they've set up the old, you know, the old carrot stick box and string gag where they're mm-hmm. facing the trap and the rabbit's gone up to the box and he's like, oh, this looks interesting. And just before he picks up the carrot and sets the trap off, a van pulls up alongside them, grabs him, pulls him in the van and off the drive. A wonderful <laughs> uh, subversion of the of the jokes, 100%. Very, very funny. Um, but then also from there, Princess Carolyn is in the back of the van and mentions, um, if you sign here, you can run development for Saoirse Ronan's production company, Saoirse and Rescue, which I thought was quite cute. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the stuff that they are offering, these poor assistants, man, they've got, they had no chance, did they? They were always going to cave. No. Unless you're Stuart, of course, because you're too stupid to cave. <laughs> um, go across the White Whale, the giant White Whale Enterprises, I guess we'll call it, the giant White Whale mm. Tower in Chicago. Uh, on the outside, Todd and Jorge are kind of trying to hatch a plan. And Jorge says to Todd, Todd, promise me you'll be perspicacious in there. And Todd says, perspicacious? I don't know the meaning of the word. <laughs> Before he slowly sort of moonwalks out of shot or slides back out of shot and obviously fails miserably at getting into the uh, into White Whale in general. Um, but also, just for anybody who might not know the meaning and would like the meaning, here it is. It means of acute mental vision or discernment, as well as unusual power to see through and comprehend what is puzzling or hidden. There you go. Yeah. How about that for a... Excellent choice of words from Jorge there, and one that Todd has no idea about, of course. <laughs> we go across to Bellican's bar from there, and uh, there's a little gag on the exterior. Now, here's one for the people, the good people of Podcast Horseman. Let us know your thoughts on this one, because a quick gag outside, it's pouring down with rain, and a woman is being sheltered in the rain by her friend's, what we're going to call her friend's hood, Michael, because mm. her friend is what we believe to be, a Dil- what is it, a Dilophosaurus? A Dilophosaurus, I think, because it, it mirrors the, the dinosaur that murdered Dennis Nedry famously in that scene in Jurassic Park in the, in the van. There you go. Hood. Cobra-like Probably. hood. Cobra-like hood. Very, very much Michael Hamford's solid explanation here because he knows more about this than I do. But yes, the, the bit you know it from would certainly be that moment in Jurassic Park. The big looks like it's got the goddamn sunflower on its head. Yeah. <laughs> Which, Michael, does that mean the dinosaurs exist in Podcast Horse? In Podcast Horseman? Well, they can't for me, but in Bojack There's one sitting right here, brother. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. I work with a dinosaur on this podcast. <laughs> time. Um, but genuinely, I think that means dinosaurs are a thing. Let us know your thoughts at Podcast mm. Horseman. Are they alive and well in this world? Now, I'm going to give it to you because you've already given it to me. No, it's not something sexual. Or it is, in fact... <laughs> um, a big monologue from Bojack, from Bojack you've already kind of touched it but I just want to hammer it home because it is mm. that important this is such a big breakthrough when he's talking to Dr. Champ inside and he says okay you got me my parents gave me an internalised self-hatred of horses so my horse body is a prison that I can never escape this manifests in rotten behaviour because I subconsciously believe I deserve to be punished but being famous I'm never punished so I act out even more and since this pattern is so woven into my identity it is unfathomable to me that it can be that it can ever be curbed so instead I drink so the only way I can progress is to return to my life as a sober man and finally hold myself accountable for my actions past and future oh my god is this what therapy is (laughs) and that Mm. is 
I was sitting at the end there having the same oh my god moment that he was because watching that unravel in such a beautiful way was oh you can't see it but I've just done a chef's kiss because of course I have. <laughs> compliments to the chef anyway we go to White Whale once again and uh, as we go up you see if if um, what was it Mike and Mike and Morgan's House of Organs was a good little combination you go up to level 56 of course where <laughs> Todd is looking for the kidneys and on the door you'll see level 56 kidneys and IT <laughs> <laughs> just put it together why the hell not Anything works in this old world. Um, Todd, of course, though, this, Michael, for me, even bigger than the Bojack Horseman breakthrough. I don't know why this hit such a chord with me, but it really did. I've never noticed this line before, but it's massive. Todd is having that argument with Jorge about, you know, he sees him as a failure. Todd sees himself as doing quite well, actually. I'm actually doing all right. I'm, I don't need your justification or your vindication for my life. And he says the line, why do you need to be proud of me on your terms? God damn it, what a line that is, man. Because, like, how much this applies to not just this interaction between these two, but every single character in this show experiences this at some point. They're all living these different lives. They've all got different goals. They've all got different things that, that they see as being relevant and things they see as not being relevant. And I just, I don't know why. That line really yeah. struck up with me. Why do you need me or why do you need to be proud of me on your terms as opposed to just being proud of somebody for being good? Really good stuff. Love this line. Smart, love Todd. Love this show. Don't know if I've told uh, told you that before. <laughs> Big fan of this Bojack Horseman show. I mean, also, it's not Ibsen, but it's all right. It's not Ibsen, but what is eh? <laughs> um, also brilliantly, the the walkie talkie gag is absolutely exceptional. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I laughed at at guy just picking the walkie talkie up from the dishes, <laughs> the sink, the dishes part of the sink, and just going. Diane, why is there a walkie-talkie in our kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. So, so stupid, but excellent, of course. You had one job, Diane. Or did Todd leave it there as a thing? We were yeah. blaming Diane, but of course, it's probably Todd who's left it. He's probably washed it and put it on the bloody side. Who knows? <laughs> um, we go across to Lenny Turtletop's boardroom once again. And, of course, Princess Carolyn, as you mentioned, well, just before Stuart signs, she realises and tries to stop him. Stuart, don't sign that. I just remembered there's a typo on page 12. Instead of billable hours, I wrote Billy Bob showers. <laughs> <laughs> Which then leads us into some of the most ridiculous Lenny Turtletop we've ever oh. experienced in this show. But I'm going to get into it anyway. Yes, Turtletop says, ooh, that's not going to fly, PC. That guy hasn't showered since Bad Santa. Man who wasn't there, more like man who doesn't wash there. Sling bid, more like please bid. Monster's ball, more like monster balls. <laughs> Great actor, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then a, a couple of scenes later, we end up back in the office as the two of them turn up for the final negotiation where Judah turns up. And it's he's still going, Armageddon. More like Armageddon away from this stinky guy. <laughs> Oh, got me that one. That's sent oh, me. Such a ridiculous gag, but such a brilliant one. And of course, Judah's return was exceptional. Such a great thing. I've just written in my notes here. Yeah! <laughs> a wonderful life when Judah's about. Anyway, we go from there across to St. Bernard Medical Centre. And there's a quick gag outside of there where there's um, two worm people. Obviously, it's just stopped raining after Judah turns up. 
but there's still a few puddles on the floor and we just see these two worm people. One of them's rolling <laughs> around in a puddle, getting all that moisture, and the other one's stood up, splashing the puddle on themselves. Because obviously we've all seen the worms coming out in the rain when it's damp. They love it. Indeed. They love it. Inside, it. They cannot. But inside St. Bernard Medical Centre, just a little visual thing in the background is Todd's forgiving Jorge for not being white, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> not realising he's white, at least. Um, there's that a giraffe sat in the background and he's just got the most humongous neck brace on you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> quite cute. Because he's a giraffe, Michael. I don't know if you know that. That's uh, something they do on this show. They do the old <laughs> animal gags. Now, we go finally to Partridge's, as you mentioned, the um, rehabilitation centre next door to Pastiches. Um, Dr. Champ finally having that moment with Bojack where he's really unhappy, explains that a lot of his life has fallen to pieces because Bojack has made this decision for him. And he obviously says, I want you to remember this, Bojack. I want you to remember what you did to me before Bojack, of course, as you mentioned, says, I remember everything. I'm sober now. And I've just written in my notes here. Because, of course, it hits hard and it hits relentlessly, this show. Um, as you get outside, though, you can see the sign as they're driving out. The sign uh, as Bojack is heading home. Um, home of all places, can you believe? Bojack heading home, good lord. Mm. Sign outside reads, Partridge's, Partridge's Malibu. Come on, get sober. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it's that easy, just get sober. <laughs> and then, of course, finally, we get that last moment where Bojack goes to his own door, pulls it open, but they cut it short before we get a chance to see. And we guess we're going to have to find out what happens next week. That is, mm. of course, everything. Or horsing around in this week's episode. Some brilliant stuff in there. But we do still have time for one last thing. And I swear to God, I'll shut up about this podcast forever. I tell you what, Michael, I'm going to go first mm-hmm. this week. Okay. What are, gonna, what are you going to do about that? Absolutely. <laughs> not. That's what you'll do. You'll do nothing. <laughs> anyway, a continuation. The only reason I'm doing it, you'll see why now, is a continuation from Partridges, of course. As mm-hmm. we mentioned, the other rehabilitation facility that has been just out of shot this whole time, quite literally. <laughs> what a reveal gag that was. But now inside of pastiches, uh, in sorry, inside of inside of Partridges, you will see when Bojack and Dr. Champ are talking in that little room, it's very similar, isn't it, to Pastiches? There's a lot of like mirroring going on. The room looks very similar to Bojack's room in Pastiches. And you may recall that on the wall there's a picture of Bojack uh, on, on Bojack's wall in Pastiches, there was a picture of Vincent van Gogh. It was a goat that looked just like one of Vincent van Gogh's um, self-portraits. Now, we go into Partridges, and you will see on the wall, there is a painting. Only this time, it's what, at first glance, Michael, would appear to be Vincent van Gogh's self-portrait with a bandaged ear and a pipe. Literally the title of that piece. On closer inspection, though, for anybody who's paying attention, you will notice that it is, in fact, not Vincent van Gogh, Michael, who's in that painting. It does look like him. But it is another suspiciously ginger-looking man who is on the picture. And, of course, it's none other than... It's not a goat, Michael, but it is Danny Bonaducci. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Bonaducci done up as Vincent van Gogh in on this painting. <laughs> Incredibly so. You have to really... You'd have to literally sit there... The only reason the alarm bell goes off in your head is because Bojack obviously says that Partridges is a rehab clinic founded by Danny Bonaducci. Now, of course, if we go even deeper into this, Michael, 
you already know where we're going. For anybody who knows Danny Bonaducci, of course, he was famous for being none other than Danny Partridge in the Partridge family, the 1974 sitcom. It all ties back together, you see. It's yeah. all relevant. And why on earth, Michael, would Danny Bonaducci, Danny Partridge of the Partridge family, why would he be opening a rehabilitation facility? I, I hear you ask. Why would he be opening a rehabilitation facility? Well, it's quite simple, Michael, because in real life, back in <laughs> back in the 90s, no doubt, eh? See what he did there? He was arrested while attempting to buy cocaine in Daytona Beach, Florida. Banaducci, we should point out, was there in Florida to host an event for Dare, D.A.R.E., <laughs> an anti-drug campaign aimed at children. So it's not oh, only yes. factually accurate that he was one <laughs> it's also a cute guy that ties in to the Vincent van Gogh painting from both places. I just thought that was brilliant. That's what a magic. Layered bit of magic. Thank you, the Partridge family. <laughs> I mean, mine can't really compare, but I, it's, it's a bit more I mean, on Diane. When can it? When can it? When can it? It's a little bit more on Diane because we've not had enough of her this episode. Um, and indeed, I guess Todd didn't really get enough of her either. I just thought that they played into Guy accusing, I guess, Diane of wasting her time with this plan and using it as an excuse to not do her book. He didn't know how right he was. Diane's time exists for two reasons, and both of those are literally wasted within seconds. <laughs> We've already laboured on the walkie-talkie. Pointless, yeah. pointless that she was stood there watching when the only person she could radio was Guy in their kitchen. And why <laughs> else was she there? To give Todd her pass in a plan that failed immediately so that Jorge had to pretend to be a cleaner instead. <laughs> Diane's two bits of input into this were a complete waste of time. Todd and Jorge could have arrived in Chicago, gone to White Whale, having never once interacted <laughs> with Diane and Guy, and she'd have had no choice to get on with her book. But instead, this was what she needed for this week's diversion. A literal waste Diversion, eh? A diversion. Hey? A diversion. Hey. There you go. And I definitely meant that. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just um, really well played that in all the times where normally she serves such an important purpose, here it was important that she served no purpose at all. And I just thought they played that really nicely. Yeah, I love that. The way that she was completely, not completely irrelevant, because Diane, Diane will never be irrelevant in this mm. show. It's always welcome to have her in an episode. But they really do remind you that actually things might not be so rosy with Diane because she can't even get being aloof and being a, a procrastinator right at this point, which is quite worrying really, isn't it? I'm going to offer her the same heckle I do Pete Townsend. Where's the book? <laughs> where's, where's the book? Where's the book? Well, let her tell you, man. That's what she's just got one last thing to write, and then she swears to God she'll <laughs> shut up about this book forever. Um, but yeah, there you go. Those are our one last things. That is the end of this week's episode. Apart from, of course, our usual plugs that we have to do because mm -hmm. we know how much you love these plugs. And as we've discovered in this exact season of Bojack Horseman. Social media is good and is right for your life and it should be used. <laughs> Please give us all of the attention, the likes, the shares, the follows and the gratitude and reciprocation from an audience that we love dearly. Hmm. Is that right? That'll do. We I, do. Think we do. Right. I, I think it's right, buddy. No, we do, of course. We love, we love everybody who spent their time listening to our podcast. But we have had to have some real conversations with ourselves about social media after this season. I think. <laughs> anyway, with that note, of course, please do give us a follow. 
uh, at Podcast Horseman on Twitter or Instagram. And if you really feel inclined to shout at us and tell us how big of a hypocrite we actually are, you can do that directly to me at It's Adam Nicholas on Twitter or Instagram, or you can do it to Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit. Um, you can press more buttons that give us instant gratification on Apple Podcasts, where we invite you to follow or subscribe on Spotify, where you can follow on Overcast, where you can subscribe on Amazon Music, where you can listen to us or waste some more money on things you don't need on a hidden delivery cost that you think is covered by our Amazon Prime, but it absolutely isn't, bro. Um, or you can go to at Podcast Horseman every Friday, where you can stream or subscribe to the Acast link, lovely place in there by Adam Nicholas's own human hand. Every Friday, rain or shine, the podcast will be well most Fridays. We will get to that in a minute. And indeed, if you would like to enter our Hollywood talk of fame before it's too late on any of the aforementioned apps, if you want to leave us a five-star review, say something nasty, say something nice, just say something with those five stars. You stand a chance of getting into the talk of fame, which is exactly what Love It You, L-O-V-E-T-T-U did via their Apple Podcast app. Thank you very much. It says, my first ever review. Quote, I don't usually write reviews, but I feel like I must now to show my appreciation. This is a hard show to recommend because it hits people the way the same people react to This Is Us. I can't speak to that. I haven't actually seen This Is Us. Though I feel the reason this show is more popular than BoJack is because the show feels more real. I want to say I appreciate you guys because it's hard to find a good podcast doing episode-to-episode breakdowns of an incredible animated show. Thank you for putting the work in, giving us this entertainment during all the crappy things happening in America right now. And they've put a little question on the end here. Do you all have any desire to do any other show after BoJack? Um, I'll take that before Adam, let's just end this podcast with a big fat no and we never do any more episodes of this one. Um, <laughs> yes and no is the short answer to a long question. This has been awesome. And we're going to labour on just how awesome this has been, obviously, as the show wraps um and it is certainly given us pause to think about other things we would like to do perhaps maybe not in the short term but i would never rule anything out not just with a legend like adam nicholas who's been a joy to work with on this podcast but about other great tv shows of which we spend half our time and whatsapp messages and dms talking about i would never say never but this has been a labor of love and i'm not sure i would like to dive straight into something analytically having enjoyed giving so much time to Bojack Horseman. So what Michael's saying there is that he's going to do a one-man podcast. Uh, <laughs> Called Mad Man. Going, which is the Mad Man podcast. And it's just going to be him. It's not actually going to be about Mad Men. You're all wrong. It's just going to be him <laughs> having a go at Jeff Bezos for an hour every single yeah. week on a podcast. What did he do this week? Well, come back next week and you'll find out. Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bez. No. Get Jeff out Bozo. of my life. <laughs> Jeff Bozo. <laughs> Um, on a more serious note, though, I guess just in, first of all, thank you for that uh, review. I do always mm. love hearing those. That's cool that people are actually into this. We again always say this, but we started this just because we like this show and we want more people talking about it, and we like talking about our favourite sad talking horse. Uh, mm. And it's kind of grown into something really great, which we're very, very appreciative of. In terms of uh, future stuff, like we love doing this. I mean, it's been so rewarding. I can't even tell you. I can't even begin to tell you. But Bojack was very specifically the thing that fit. We thought that was a really good way to do this. Like, um, it's a show where you could split it in half the way we do with the jokes and also the mm. narratives. But also, like, we know how long it takes to do this. This is a 27-minute uh, episode of an animated TV show. 
there's so many shows we would love the idea of doing, I think it's fair to say, but there's also so many shows we know would entirely consume our lives if we were <laughs> yeah. to do them. Like, the thought of even approaching, we both love The Sopranos, we both love The Wire. I have no, absolutely no doubt in my mind we could not do that show justice no. because it's so good. That's 40, 40 minutes to an hour of a, of a TV show of that high calibre. And that's kind of where we want to aim. Don't don't get mm. this twisted. We consider Bojack Horseman to be right up in the conversation when it comes to TV shows, period. Not just animated, not just live action, period. Best and this was, the, this was the one we considered we could do in this podcast format that would really work. So I guess the long, the shorter version of that is we're not sure. Uh, we, we would love to, in the future, we're not going to say no, definitely not, because this is so mm. much fun. We enjoy doing this. This is just me and you shooting the shit, really, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah. with a bit of added admin, admittedly. Um, but <laughs> I, won't, I won't ever say no, but I would also say we had, we'd have to seriously consider what it was going to be and how about we were going to do it, which is one, I guess, for the future. Um, mm. But having said all that, I guess we should talk about what we're going to do with the rest of this season and this show, right? Yeah. Um, just before, because we wanted to mention this a couple of weeks in advance, I guess it'll be, just because... Yeah. We've got a few things going on. Obviously, for anybody who knows this season of BoJack Horseman, when you get to episode eight of season six, that is the midway break point. That was, of course, a little break before they released the rest of the other episodes, the other eight episodes uh, in January 2020. Oh, my word, if only we'd known back then how different things would be by the time we'd get... We, we started a podcast we started in the a studio podcast. we used to go to back then. That's it. We started a podcast in the studio, would you believe? That's amazing to think that. Oh, we had no idea what was coming. But uh, in fitting with that, we are going to take a little break, just in the middle, not for too long. Um, but we've got episode seven next week, and then we have episode eight the week after that. There will be no episode the week after that. We'll be taking a one-week break just to give us a chance to kind of get a jump start on next season. Um, or next season, you know what I mean? Next part of this season. Um, but also, I guess... Because it is nice to have a little break and reflect because that's kind of the cutoff point and there's a whole reason when you get to that point where you need to have mm. a cutoff before jumping into the next half of the season. So we just figured it would be nice to take that break. So what week is that? I should have had this up. Really shouldn't I? So that'll be one, two, it'll be September the 3rd. There will be no episode of Podcast Horseman. Is that right? The Friday, September the 3rd, there will be no episode of Podcast Horseman. And then straight after that, the following week, which will be Friday the 10th, there will be normal service as usual business as usual back to talking ourselves horse about our favorite talking horse michael mm-hmm. uh it's gonna be well one last very sad ride i guess it's the the, the mid-season break obviously for those that have maybe dipped in and out of this podcast up to spot we would normally do a full season recap that little break is i guess in place of the recap we're only halfway through so we're still going to do our end of season recap at the end of season six but the break does give you, without spoiling, we're a spoiler-free podcast, certainly gives you a cliff to hang off at the very end of episode eight. So you've mm. got a little bit of a week to linger on that, much like we all had to for, what, three agonising months when these episodes first dropped in two halves once upon a time. Um, but yes, all normal service, we've already resumed. Boom, back into the podcast feed on September 10th with the home stretch, the final furlongs of Bojack Horseman. Yes, indeed. But for now, now that we've cleared all that admin up, let's quickly give you the synopsis for next week's episode before we leave, which is season six, episode seven, 
the only spoiler I'm going to give you for this is that this happens to be one of my favourite episodes mm. in the show, full stop, across the board. And when you watch it, you'll probably find out why. Season 6, Episode 7, The Face of Depression. Good start, Adam. Uh, Bojack travels around the country reconnecting with loved ones while Mr. Peanut Butter embarks on his own national tour as the face of depression because, of course, he does. Sad dog. (laughs) But if you want to find out what happens in that episode and why, indeed, it is one of my favourites in Bojack Horseman history, well, guess what? You're going to have to come back next week to find out. It never gets any easier, but it's always as good when you come back around. With that said, though, I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.